Welcome back to the Fitter and Faster Coaches Corner. I'm your host, as always, Mike Murray. Today, I am thrilled to be with three pro athletes. All three of them recently made the transition from NCAA All-American to pro swimmer. Training on your own, competing on your own, traveling on your own, most importantly, taking care of yourself on your own. That's a big transition, especially with all the swag and everything you guys get from the colleges where you swim. It's a different world than back when I was a swimmer at Rutgers in the uh, late 90s. So uh, I want to first jump in with, you know, you guys just telling us why you've decided to swim at Wolfpack Elite. What about the culture there that Braden and Dino and the other staff have created? We can see how excited Josh the cat is <laughs> being on this interview. Uh, and so we will turn it over to Coleman and Josh to uh, get us started here. All right, Josh, you ready? You got to answer first, bud. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, the transition was was pretty easy um, for me. I was kind of a no-brainer to train at Wolfpack Elite with uh, with Braden because he was my coach for for four years for college, and then didn't really want to go anywhere else. He's uh, he's the right coach for me. Um, but yeah, the culture is really, really cool. Um, it's been fun to add a few new faces like Allie and, and a few others here and there. And yeah, I think that's pretty, pretty good for me. Is there a Wolfpack elite uh, standard for facial hair? Or is this like something we're exploring for the summertime? Uh, there's not a standard as of yet. Um, I'm trying to get it started, but Justin can't grow facial hair. Uh, and that's really just holding everybody back, I think. So it really just comes down to Justin being a slacker with the facial hair. I'm sure he'll watch this. We'll make sure he gets a copy of it. And Allie, what about you? Making the transition from Auburn, from War Eagle to Wolfpack, what is that transition like? And what, what were some of the factors behind the move? Yeah, so this is kind of a loaded question, um, <laughs> but... For me, I just needed like an environmental change. You know, COVID kind of put things in perspective for me and my swimming career. Um, I went through the ups and downs during COVID just mentally and physically of like, do I want to even continue swimming? And um, ultimately, obviously, we know where my decision ended up. And I started looking around at other programs just because I think like mentally I needed that environmental change. And uh my uh my mom actually was like oh like nc state's pretty good right and i was like yeah like they have some good swimmers like i would i would be okay with like going to north carolina um so i took a trip up here in june last year and fell in love immediately and i was like yeah Braden, i'll i'll see you in august <laughs> so that's how that ended up that's awesome and michaela you're just announcing that you know you're back full-time training getting ready for meets and starting to compete again and you made a decision halfway through your college experience what's it been like at nc state for you the last two years and what's motivating you now to continue swimming as a pro yeah making that change definitely helped me um i think i was kind of in a similar situation as ali just kind of needed a different environmental um or not environmental, environment, um, mentally and physically. Um, and when I took my visit, I fell in love too. <laughs> um, 
the culture just really allowed me to be my goofy self. And I found that when I can be myself, I can be goofy and silly and happy. I was swimming at my best, really enjoying practices, looking forward to training and racing with people. Um, and it was not really like, um, oh, I'm dreading going to practice. I was really looking forward to uh, having those moments with my teammates. <laughs> and I see Josh trying to peek in there. <laughs> Um, and yeah, now coming back, I think one of the big factors is really just, I missed my teammates and I miss that competitive or having that competitive outlet. Um, cause I'm a very competitive person, love to race. And I really just miss my coaches as well, being able to see their faces every day. So yeah, I think that was a really big decision. Um, and that definitely played a big role in coming back. One of the things that your generation is so fortunate to have, and I'm going to pitch this to Coleman first, is when athletes were good enough when I swam, they had to stay attached to their college team. There was really no pro swimming other than going to nationals or other you know, local LSC events. You guys now have the opportunity of the ISL, and I know it's been incredibly exciting and rewarding for you. Coleman, talk to me about the ISL. Did you ever think that you were going to be a pro swimmer when you started swimming? No, <clears throat> excuse me. I, when I started swimming, when I was really, really young, I kind of was, I was not very motivated. <laughs> and then I really wanted to quit when I was like 12 or 13, I guess 11 or 12, but, and my dad wouldn't let me. And even like coming into college, like I was, I was a, I was an okay recruit, but I wasn't anything stellar so that never crossed my mind of ever being able to be in this position so yeah it's been a really cool experience the ISL was was awesome long six weeks but it was really really cool but yeah bottom line is no idea I would ever be here <laughs> we just heard the announcement that the ISL is going to be in Naples Naples is an important city for both uh, you and Michaela competing at the World University Games last summer and uh, what was that experience like, Coleman, to represent the United States? We actually sat next to your parents uh, and your mom and dad were cheering as loud as anybody. What, are you excited that it's going to be back in Naples? That's a pool that brings back some good memories, I'm sure. Absolutely. That pool, um, the city of Naples was really, really cool. Um, it was a mind-blowing experience to be able to represent the United States, um, you know, as, as a kid, even as, as a kid, everybody wants to represent their country and have the, the stars and stripes on their flat, on their, on their cap and everything. But to actually have the opportunity was, was really, really cool. Um, and yeah, hopefully Naples treats, uh, treats us just as well as it did in 2019. Well, you know, you're going to eat well. I mean, <laughs> that's one thing that city, like I felt like all we did was eat for six days. Allie pro swimmer. When you were a kid, was it even something that you were considering, even as you started to become pretty successful uh, and now as you're a member of the U.S. national team, talk to me about what it's like to get to the level of pro swimmer and whether or not you ever thought it was possible as a young age grouper. Um, so when I was young, I actually told my parents I wanted to make the U.S. Olympic team. You know, we all have those goals that eight, nine, 10 years old. So that was what I told my parents and that I wanted to swim for a D1 school in the top 25. 
in the NCAA. So those were like my not my eight, nine, 10 year old goals. <laughs> and my dad was like, all right, well, if you go and you get a good scholarship, like your mom and I will reward you in some aspect. So of course, like, I, you know, I swam high school and I was uh, the 11th recruit on like swim slam coming out of high school. That's what they predicted me as. And I ended up going to Auburn, obviously. And I had not made a junior national team before then and still had not made my first national team yet, but I just kept trekking. And it was kind of, my career has been like this slow, steady incline, um, which I, I think is the best way to go about it. Cause then you're not like having all these inconsistencies. But I think when I was younger, I like, we only had the Olympic goal. And, you know, I was on, I was fortunate enough to be a part of ISL season one last or in 2019. So like, that was very cool to me. And, and now it's like becoming realistic. So when I go to fitter and faster clinics and I'm, you know, giving these kids my, my spiel, I'm like, this is the goal you can set for yourself now. Like you can become a pro athlete and swim on one of these 10 teams that we have. So I think it's like super cool to now inspire the younger generations that like, yeah, you might have this international swim league and it's just like the NBA. It's just like the NFL, but it's swimming. It's the sport that you're doing right now. It's so cool that, you know, the three of you are sitting there, you're all training on the same team and you're all making money in the sport of swimming. Something that we as parents and we as club coaches probably never thought we were preparing you for. We were trying to use swimming as a vehicle for success in whatever else you decided to do. And you guys have been fortunate enough to all have a similar trajectory. You know, Coleman, you were certainly fast in high school and as a club athlete, you exploded in college. Michaela, same thing. So you guys have had this unique journey that you're sharing. And Kay, I remember, you know, you when you were younger and Tyler Clary and I laugh about this all the time. I was giving you a set of five 400s the night before day one of the Mesa Grand Prix. Everybody else is shaved, tapered, and ready. We went a 6,200-meter workout before it. Meanwhile, in the background of you doing that workout, David Marsh and I are talking, Ryan Lochte, Tyler Clary, and somebody else, they were sliding down the water slide at Mesa and sprinting 25s. And you said, hey, how come I can't do that? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and David Marsh said, Mike, what are you doing? I said, just going five, four hundreds night before the a meet. Uh, talk to me, Kay. Uh, you know, I obviously know a lot about your journey, but, you know, we never had planned for you being a pro swimmer. I think you had always had your mindset on making a national team. You reached that goal. What's it like to find yourself continuing in a sport that you love, that you had to take a break from for a minute and reevaluate some things? Talk to the athletes and the parents out there that need to know that it's okay to take a break sometimes. Yeah, I think kind of like Ali said, ever since I was little, the I always had that Olympic dream watching Michael Phelps and all those other big names on the TV. I remember every uh, long course zones meet, uh, Coleman probably remembers this too, Eastern zones was always around the same time as the Olympics. So we would all gather in the hotel lobby and watch the Olympics um, during our um, zone meets and I think now having the ISL and having other opportunities kind of 
puts a little bit less stress on the athletes to be like, okay, I have to dedicate all of this time to a chance, like a very, very, very small chance of making the Olympic team. Um, you have to be top two in your event or top six in a freestyle event to make the team. And that's just insanely hard and putting in all of that work, especially post college, um, you're kind of dedicating your life, especially we don't get paid that much as swimmers. Um, so it's really hard to support yourself, especially after college, um, knowing that there's a very small chance that you will make the Olympic team and having to put the rest of your life kind of on hold for that. Um, and I think that's something that I kind of struggled with a little bit. Um, and that's why I needed to take a, a break and reevaluate because I was getting so caught up in the Olympic goal. And I was, it was kind of, it was unhealthy, like how much I was thinking about it. And it kind of took away the love and enjoyment of the sport that I had. And I was way too stressed about it to actually enjoy what I was doing. Um, so I think taking a break and reevaluating why I started swimming, why I love swimming, and kind of just redefining like my purpose in the sport. I think that that was something that really needed to be done. And I actually was thinking earlier today in practice, I was like, what if I go to trials? I was talking with uh, Bernardino yesterday after I had a really good double, probably my first uh, solid practice since I've been back in the water for a week. Um, and he was like, you know what? Like if you train like that every day, you come in with that purpose. I know that you aren't as prepared as you would like to be for trials, but you can still do something that is worth being proud of, not just go there just to swim. That kind of got me thinking. And I was like, well, if I made top eight at trials, I'm like, well, I might be like the what if situation of, oh, what if I didn't take that break? Maybe I could have made the team. And then I was thinking and I was like, actually, no, that's not true at all. Because if I hadn't taken that break, I would have just been mentally and physically struggling through those four months. And I probably would have done even worse. It's kind of like a balance of trying not to play that what if game and knowing that what I did was in the end, the best thing that I could have done for myself and not really um, thinking back and regretting anything that I did really mature decision. I mean, we are super proud of you for taking that break and knowing yourself, but what great perspective from coach Bernardino to say to you, if you come in like that every day, anything's possible. I love it. And, and you guys are so fortunate to have so many great coaches there. Coleman, one thing that Braden puts a lot of value in is the ability to race and race often in pro swimming. Now we're racing all the time. You're getting a lot of opportunities to race. I think it's going to prepare our Olympic team and our national team to swim and perform better. More racing opportunities this day and age and learning how to manage your body through that. Talk to me a little bit about how your training as a pro has differed than when you were in college and during your developmental days. You grew up in a household where almost every single person that you're directly related to is an athlete and or swam in college. Yeah. <clears throat> so growing up, yeah, we, I swam for two clubs that were pretty heavy on, on yardage, uh, York Y and North Baltimore. So yeah, did a lot of yardage with that. Remember our Saturday practices at York Y would be like three and a half hours and almost all of it was swimming. And that was, yeah, that was fun. Uh, that very was helpful. Michael, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay, buddy. <laughs> and then uh, college, my four years actually competing in the NCAA, I trained middle distance with Braden. But that even that, I kind of shifted to where 
I, I started with more yardage, even in the middle distance group. And then by the end, I was training more similar to our sprint group. And then now, now that I'm uh, like training post-grad and everything, it's a lot more focused on not having to compete 11 times in three and a half days, like at NCAAs. Like now I'm training to compete nine times over what, seven days, something like that. So it was just a lot easier to mentally focus for not having to do a lot of races in a short amount of time. If I was still training the way I was in college, especially my freshman and sophomore year, it would be a huge mental struggle. And I think that's what our coaches kind of really excel with is it's not just about the, the physical aspect of, of the, of the sport is they, they can kind of understand where we are mentally and physically in our development to where they can change training around. And no matter what, we kind of trust them. And we know that they're doing what they're like, their plan is what's right for us. And they're putting us in the best situation to compete and train at a high level. And that's a process, right? I'm sure there were times where you had some really tough days or really tough weeks. Talk to those young athletes and those parents who watch Coach's Corner. Talk to them about, you know, getting to that place where, you know, I, I know I need to trust what Braden's saying, even though I might not be performing the way I want to. Yeah, there were, uh, I think it was my sophomore year uh, during Christmas training, I got sick right before Christmas or like right before our first big training block where we do doubles every day and um, overall not a, not a super pleasurable experience, but um, I got sick right before that. And then Braden kind of like threw me into training. Like I hadn't missed anything. And then I had the worst week of training I've ever had in my life. Like I was not going under a minute in like hundred freestyle short course. It was just awful. And he kind of like, he realized that and then pulled the reins back and was like, it, it wasn't like, oh, he's just being a baby. Like he can't, he can't handle this. It was like, he actually can't handle this and I need to pull this back. So I think a lot of it is about communication with, um, with your coach. Like Braden and I have a really good relationship where I can kind of tell him if I don't like if I didn't like that set, if I didn't think it was like exactly what we needed. Um, and he doesn't like, he doesn't get upset about it. Sometimes he does, but you know, it's fine. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's a lot about just um, communication and making sure that there's that, that two-way street of yes, you're my coach, but you also need, need to kind of understand that I, as a swimmer know what's, what's best for me sometimes. I'm, I'm so glad you pointed out that communication piece that that's something where as coaches, we are constantly evolving. And I think we're at a place right now, coach athlete development nationwide and maybe globally where we're really trying to value that relationship more. It has to be less tyrant and, and uh, more empathetic and just being more aware of our athletes needs. And it's a great segue for you, Allie because uh, you've swam for some different coaches. You have a lot of experience in the sport. Talk to us about how important it is to take care of yourself, do self-care activities, and make sure that you're taking care of your body wellness, but also your mental wellness. And I, I know there are things that you do that, that help keep you focused and keep you grounded. 
talk to us about some of the things that you do to, to stay focused and, and, and really to, to continue to have fun in the sport. Yeah, so I think the big thing for me is my first pro year. So in 2019, I finished my collegiate career and then I went into my first pro year that April, basically, like right after that. And then ISL was that following fall. And I kind of went through this up and down of I'm not representing Auburn University anymore as a collegiate whole like I'm not swimming for my team I'm swimming for myself so like Michaela's already said I had to kind of define like why I was swimming and kind of find my purpose in the sport um and basically my uh, I call it my why um so like why am I swimming why am I doing that so I had to define that for me that summer and you know it worked <laughs> for that summer but then when ISL season came around, I kind of like pulled back and like lost a lot of confidence. And I think you could see that during my ISL races and just how I carried myself around pool deck and going into this second ISL season, like I said, environmental change for me helped moving up here to North Carolina and just having, you know, a very supportive coaching staff and very supportive group of pro athletes that I had been training with, um, that kind of like built my confidence back up very, very like strong because I got here in August and we left for ISL season, the beginning of October. So two months and my confidence was like already very high, very strong. I was going into the second ISL season, ready to kick some butt. For me, it was a big thing of positive self-talk. I, kind of redefined my purpose after COVID and after my move up here. Um, and positive self-talk plays into uh, my practices. And of course, like meets, I do that a lot during like meet warmups, uh, especially just like reminding myself that I can do this because you know what, I had this hard practice and this was mentally tough on me and this, and I made it through all of that. So like racing a hundred fly is nothing. Um, compared to like what I've done at practices and what I've been through. So ultimately your mind is a lot stronger than you think. And my dad always said to me growing up, if you think you can, you're probably right. And if you think you can't, you're probably right. I love it. That That's a <laughs> phrase that, that a lot of us use, uh, especially in the coaching world. And, and you're so right, you know, finding out what motivates you, what keeps you going. And you, for you, it was a change of scenery that kind of reinvigorated your goals and, and set you on that path. Um, when you think about giving fitter and faster clinics and talking to young athletes all the time, what is the advice that Ali Tetzloff needed to hear at that 12, 13, 14 year old developmental stage? Um, <laughs> that's kind of a loaded question. Um, probably the fact that, uh, progress, it, it takes time, you know, to be successful takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, you're not going to critique your technique in a week. It's not going to magically become perfect. And then all of a sudden it's muscle memory. Um, that takes time and consistency, I think would be a huge thing that younger Allie needed to hear is just, 
learn to be consistent with your mental state, with how you're practicing, the effort you're putting in, all of that. Um, to be honest, I didn't really become a consistent swimmer until college. Um, so if I would have known that earlier, maybe, maybe I would have been on a junior national team. I don't know, but I think consistency is like a huge thing that younger swimmers need to hear because if you're putting in, you know, 70% of your effort, one practice, and then 90% the next practice, it should be, you know, you should be trying to put in hundred percent every single time you're in the pool or every single time you do a dry land workout. And, you know, at that age, you're kind of just like socializing with your friends, which is great, but also like define your purpose. Why are you there? Are you there to socialize with your friends? Cause then that's fine. But if you're there to, you know, get, uh, go after your goals, then maybe you should put in a little bit more effort. Sure. Yeah. A great explanation of the process. Right. And when it finally clicks, it validates all of that hard work and that focused effort, right? And that's that's a beautiful thing. That's what makes the sport great. It's the tough, challenging moments that you overcome that make it so worthwhile in the end. And speaking of challenging moments, Michaela, I have right here written in my notes, March 15th, 2018 to April 30th, you were averaging 88,500 meter yards per week. <laughs> you see Coleman's face there? And, <laughs> and the week of May 4th to May 18th, um, in those two weeks, you did back-to-back -back weeks of 106,000 yards on average. And in two of those workouts was the famous 6 1200 IMs I made you do. And that same week, you went a time 5,000 right before going to the Open Water Nationals. <laughs> I've learned since then, guys. I don't have, like, many <laughs> that I can do that to. But, Kate, talk about uh, you visited some pain places in your club development that very few people go to. And we did that on purpose because your physiology is very unique and is capable of handling that. We also have to deal with the fact that you are by far the shortest member of the United States National Swim Team. <laughs> Thank uh, you for reminding me. Thank you. And, and uh, so at every meet we went to, it was it was really gratifying, uh, you know, when you would get in there and race. Um, but talk about why that background was so important for you later on to be successful, because we all know the sport's evolving and changing. We don't need to swim as much as we used to, even in five, 10 years ago. Um, but for some athletes, if they want to get to the highest levels in the sport, they got to be willing to work. So what lessons did you take from that development? And, and certainly things that Dino gave you, I know he was happy to see you had in your background, but talk to parents and athletes about why it's important to just stay the course, do the work that you needed to do. And there were times where you came to me and you actually said, I need less rest and I need to do more. So how did you come to understanding your body that way? Because it's so important for these young swimmers to, to get to a place where they know themselves. Yeah, I think it. looking back at it, honestly, I think it was probably a little bit more of a mental thing than uh, a physical thing. Being a smaller athlete with less muscle, I knew that I wasn't going to fatigue as quickly. And I mean, even to this day, Dino and Dan, they don't really rest me until we're like actually at the meet. <laughs> and uh, we're just kind of going through like the course of the pool and whatnot. And that's when I get my rest. 
Uh, I think it's definitely a mental thing because I don't know why I tell myself I'm going to get out of shape super quickly. And I, that's something that I've always struggled with. And I know that it's not really realistic when you, you read the numbers I'm doing, I was doing 80 K a week. Um, but I think having that training background really did help me become more mentally tough getting into college swimming with Greg Troy and now swimming with Mark Renadino. Um, they are notorious for also being kind of that old school high yardage. And I think that really prepared me well for uh, some mental struggles of getting through practices that I was like, I really don't know if I can make it through eight, 400 IMs right now, but I know I've done six, 1200 IMs. So there's gotta be some way that I'm going to finish it. Uh, <laughs> even if I felt like in the middle of it that I wasn't going to, I knew that I was. And I think just having that background of confidence that I got from my club swimming experience really, I mean, it was kind of cool, like being able to tell people too, like, oh yeah, I've done six, 1200 IMs, or I did a 5,000 for time. Like they look at you, like you have five heads, but like, it was, it's cool to say, it's cool to say that I've been able to do that. And it definitely has helped with my confidence and training going forward um, in my collegiate and pro career. It's been fun to watch. And, and what a lot of people don't know is my mentor was Dino's associate head coach for years at, at UVA. So you know, some of the stuff you saw was probably Mark indirectly. Uh, and so, you know, you've had the, the great fortune to swim for some great college coaches, both in Greg and, and Mark, and it's been fun to watch that development. And speaking of fun practices, I, I was excited to ask Coleman about this because a couple of years ago, you put on one of the old tech suits in practice and pushed a 43.9. You've been 44L, I think, in, in short course yards before, correct? Uh, yeah, I've, yeah. I've actually beaten that time without a, a fast suit now. So, And that was in practice that you did that. Tell me about things that Braden does and you do in your training to keep it fun and keep it exciting. Because when we, I remember when you did that and, you know, most club coaches were like, we were texting. Did you hear about this pushed practice in an old tech suit? And it was for real in practice. So talk about why it's fun to go that fast in practice, why it's fun to mix it up, put some fast suits on, do some lactate stuff with a lot of rest. I, I think it just really creates that race environment. Jack or Jack Alley and I were actually doing a set a few, <clears throat> excuse me, a few weeks ago suited and Jack and I were racing against each other. Alley was in her own heat, but Jack and I, we did a 50 and Braden, like we got to the wall and Braden was like hyping us up. And he was like, Oh, if you want a hundred, you go X like this time right now. And I was like, all right, let's do it. And Braden was like, he was like kind of surprised. He was like, what? I was like, let's do a hundred fly off the blocks right now. It's like, we can take away two of the fifties that we're going to do in the set, but let's just do it. And I think, and Braden was like all for it. And I think that kind of like exemplifies why I personally just like racing, like and like going fast and practice it like we didn't go the time that Braden thought we would and I died like none other on the last 25 <laughs> but but it was fun I mean it, it's a mental challenge a physical challenge um and that's really just what makes it fun like I I can't do those long workouts anymore I can't do I a set we used to do all the time on on York uh was just like 12 300s backstroke to send one to three four times it's like, I can't do that anymore. That's not fun. Like I, I can't mentally 
prepare myself for that. But now short racing is just so much more my speed. So, well, I think, you know, to Michael's credit, he built your capacity for work and now Braden gets to build your utilization. And, uh, you know, that, that's, what's so great. Talk to me about some of the famous Braden underwater kick sets, because one thing that you guys have done a great job with, uh, in, in the sprint group in the middle distance group at NC state and some miraculous way you've helped Michaela kick more than four dolphin kicks off every wall. Uh, (laughs) Talk to me about some of those underwater workouts that Braden gives. Yeah. So every week, we kind of go through the same schedule. Like Monday has specific workouts and every Thursday afternoon was underwater focused. We had a group of like five to six, it was mainly guys. I think there were a handful of girls in there. Um, and it was just focused on underwater kicking, not necessarily. And again, this kind of goes back to like Braden being able to progress through like my freshman year, it was focused on, like getting good technique and being able to hold it, hold um, a kick count through 100 and 200. But then by my senior year, it was a lot more focused on making that last turn, those last underwaters just as fast as the first ones. So um, that progression through the four years was, was interesting. And I mean, it was, (laughs) we always have, Wednesday afternoon and Thursday morning off, we go hundred speed and then off, off underwater group. And we all, all the guys in the underwater group always stressed so much because we could never enjoy those two like times off because we were just always thinking about like, we got to go and hold our breath for like two hours straight. Like that's just, it was just a lot of stress, but obviously it worked really, really well. And yeah, I, Braden definitely threw his hat a few times, uh, getting stressed about the the lack of effort and the lack of focus, but overall definitely worked. Lack of effort and focus happens in college too. And, and, and in pro swimming. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't, I thought once we got to that level, we were past that. Uh, Coleman, one of the best underwater performances I, I think I've ever seen live is uh, when we were at Wugs 50 fly. You just had a great start and a really good breakout. Do you remember how many kicks you took to your breakout in that race? I want to say eight. You're mm-hmm. right around eight or nine. Yeah. yeah. Very, very fast. And 20, what, what were you, 23, seven, 23, eight? Yeah, I think 20. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I mean, just real clean underwater work. Fair to say that it took a long time to get to that level of progression. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's what young athletes, I think, need to hear. And, and you know, as pros, you guys understand how important it is. Um, I want to shift now in the last few minutes that we have before we go to our quick fire questions. Recovery has been such an important part of our sport over the last decade. At the pro level, because of your ages, it's becoming critical. And Michaela, what are some of the favorite things that you do for recovery? whether they're in the training room, whether they're things you do at home, what are some, what's something that young athletes can take from a pro to incorporate into their own recovery regime? Especially talking to like younger children, I think sleep is definitely the most important. Um, Getting enough sleep, 
getting good sleep too. Even if you get nine hours of sleep and you're, if you're waking up every hour, like that's not really nine hours of sleep. So really focusing on getting really good sleep, consistent sleep, kind of having a consistent schedule of when you're going to bed and when you're waking up. I think that's something that's super important and something that I am struggling with right now because in those four months that I took off, I didn't have to wake up at 5 a.m. and I was staying up later. So getting back into that schedule has definitely um, been very crucial for my recovery, especially because I've been getting my butt kicked the last week. But Allie and I kind of have our own little like training room in our living room. We got like a Norma Tech, uh, we got a cupping set, we got some foam rollers. So definitely just taking advantage of the stuff that we have and yeah, staying hydrated, eating really well, focusing on nutrition and just being able to control what you can control and not stressing about all of those outside factors. Because I've learned over the past year, especially with COVID and all of the unpredictable things that have been happening, um, if you stress about things that are what if or what you want to do and you plan so far ahead in the future and you're stressing about that, chances are things are going to change by then and all of your stress was really not worth it and you just put a lot of extra stress on yourself that did not allow you to recover the way that you could have. No doubt about it. And, and Allie, what are some things that you've done? Because a lot of our athletes, they finish practice and they wait an, a half hour, an hour before they get home to eat. How quickly are you eating when you finish a workout? So typically, <laughs> like if I, I, the, the quickest I eat something is after weights, I'll be walking over to the pool and I'll have a bar with me. Um, just because, you know, I'm going to go swim for an hour and a half. So I need something else to fuel me. And, um, that's probably the quickest I eat. But other than that, like I immediately will come home after a workout and like cook myself a meal or make myself a smoothie. And that's maybe a 15, 20 minute turnaround tops maybe. And I think just like getting something in you is important, whether it is a granola bar, whether it's a banana, whether, I mean, there's protein shakes now that you can buy um, that would just be like something in your body. Um, I know like a lot of people, and I mean me for growing up, for example, um, we had to commute like 30 minutes uh, to and from where I practice. And I'm sure some people commute even further. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I was fortunate to only be about 30 minutes away from where I practiced. So my mom would literally pick me up from school and I'd be eating dinner. Yes. Dinner after school on the way to practice. And then after practice, I would be eating a snack and I'd get home and eat a second dinner. Like that's how much I was eating. And it's crucial because you know, you're growing first off at that age. So you're growing, your body needs it. Uh, you need to be healthy and fuel yourself for, you know, the next day too. Absolutely. And it sounds like you've been doing that for a while. So it was probably a relatively easy transition. Coleman, I know that in Raleigh, and I'm about to explore this for myself this weekend, there are many exceptional barbecue restaurants. Uh, how do you big boys in the middle distance and sprint groups, where do the Wolfpack elite guys go? to get that awesome meal, maybe on a Friday night after a big week of workouts? Oh, I don't know. Like I grew up in a kind of, kind of a small town, like pretty, um, York is very, I don't know how to explain this. It was, uh, 
a lot of bad food, like good food, but really bad for you. So moving to Raleigh, it's like healthier and just better. Like there's just so many different food options. So I can't like, can't really pin it down. Like we went to a ramen place the other day and it was the first time I had like real ramen and that was really good. I don't know. There's just so many different options all over Raleigh and Cary and the surrounding areas. So I can't really. How are are you fueling up for the week of workouts that you have? You know, guys, guys and girls, different physiology. What what are you doing to fuel up? Are you using any kind of uh, protein supplement shakes? You doing any of that stuff? Yeah, so I use um, I use creatine. Paul, oh, one of one of our uh, Wolfpack Elite members just found out about creatine and it blew his mind. So uh, <laughs> I use creatine and I uh, uh, pro a whey protein supplement as well. That's awesome, man. And and you 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 make sure that at that pro level, right? You guys are always checking everything that you put into your body. And I know you hear it time after time with USA Swimming. Do you guys actively check and make sure you're going over all your supplements and things like that? Yeah, there's like a database that you can enter your supplements, uh, medication, vitamins, anything that you're taking uh, to see if it's approved for in competition, out of competition. Um, So when you do get drug tested randomly, um, you don't have to really worry about that because there can be traces of something, even if it's not in the thing you're actually taking, if it's on, if, if it's produced in the same place or manufactured in the same place as something that may be on the banned substance list, there could be the slightest trace of it and it could get picked up in your drug test. So it's super, super important to check and make sure that not even just the product, but the company is approved um, for uh, the doping pool, I guess. Yeah, and you guys are all in the protocol, and I know that that can be a challenge to get your scheduling and, and everything lined up for that. So it's good for the young athletes who are coming up through and, and some of the, the kids who watch this who are highly ranked to make sure that they review those things and, and they have some experience with it, especially before getting into college. All right, we're jumping right into the quick fire. I'm going to go with Coleman first because I'm interested on his opinion. Coleman, is it going to take a sub 21 second performance in Tokyo to win the gold medal in the men's 53. Yes. All right. I like it. I like it. All right, Allie, will Katie Ledecky break eight minutes in the women's 800 free? Easily, easily. (laughs) She's got a 759 in her (laughs) minimum. (laughs) All right, Michaela, who is the best ukulele player at NC State? ukulele <laughs> who's the best is there, like a right answer to this that like someone plays the ukulele and I'm supposed to answer are you the only I mean, one i play the ukulele am i allowed to say myself <laughs> yes okay yes. myself i'm the only one that i know of that plays ukulele so i guess right. I'll <laughs> coleman Braden gives you an option you can either go a thousand free for time or a 400 im long course at the end of practice what are you going with <laughs> Or I am because there's yeah. just. I'll <laughs> tell him you're doing that <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> if you see my breaststroke, I mean it's barely legal, so <laughs> get through that. <laughs> Allie, favorite city you visited as a fitter and faster clinician? Ooh. 
Um, I had a clinic out in Oakland, California, and it was outside of San Francisco. So I got to tour around San Francisco in the evenings, which was really cool. That's my favorite city. It's always been my favorite city. <laughs> All right, uh, Coleman, this is a loaded question. So get ready. It's the end of practice. You guys just had a really hard workout. You and Justin have to race 100 free. Who's getting their hand to the wall first? That is a loaded question. Depends on how hard the workout is. Because if it's a, I think most of the time Justin would win, but if it, if it, if it's a real hard workout where he kind of like, he's dying a little bit, I think I, I yeah, I, I might be able to get him sometimes. All right, let's yeah. set it up. Coach's Corner exclusive this weekend and set it up. Uh, all right. And then last question, Kay. I asked you this with the kids the other day. Does our buddy Ryan Lochte make the 2021 Olympic team? Okay. I mean, I don't want to say no, just because like I've trained with him and everything, but just with so many new up and coming fast young swimmers, especially in his events, and his events are not the short events. His events are the long events. I just saw a video where he's doubling like two free 4 a.m. or something at some meet, um, a crazy double. And they're like, you know, you can say no. And he was like, you do know who my coach is, right? Like, no is not in Troy's vocabulary. <laughs> um, so I think that he's definitely trusted the process and he's gone along with what Troy has um, had him do there with the Gators and it's possible but i wouldn't bet on it <laughs> copy that all right last question we've heard a lot about you know what this olympic games is going to be like um do you think that the games will happen in tokyo you're stressing Allie out with that question. <laughs> I, I would love to say yes, but um, I mean, we hear news and we see the news so much that, um, you know, there's already been, I think they pulled, I saw something and they pulled like the Japanese uh, citizens and 60% of them say don't host it. And that, I mean, is a scary thought, but also like, I don't know if, anywhere else would have time to hurry up and host the Olympics when they're in August, you know, any other country would host that soon. Um, so it's very stressful. I think they could do it safely. Um, but I think, I feel like there needs to be some ironing of certain details that we just don't really see. You know, they might be like under the, uh, under the carpet, swept under the carpet um and they need to iron out those details <laughs> I, I think you're right on i think you're right on all right well when we get to omaha in a couple weeks i got uh two new people i'm going to be rooting for in addition to michaela so i'm really looking forward to you guys swimming well coleman stewart ali tetzloff michaela Sargent. thank you so much for joining us on the coach's corner we'll have this episode out and available this evening uh if not thursday morning good luck to all of you Michaela, keep cooking for everybody. Trying out your new recipes. Oh, that's Allie. That's <laughs> Allie. Allie's the cook in the house. <laughs> I'm learning from her. <laughs> not allowed right, to guys. eat on campus anymore. I'm not a student. <laughs> oh, that's right. 
All right, Coleman, good luck to you, man. And uh, maybe I'll see you guys this weekend. Take care. Thanks, Thank you. Thank you.